Well, good evening, Grace Covenant. My name is Duke Bendix. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, have a privilege and the honor of being able to minister the Word of God over the next few minutes. Um, if you want to follow along, I think it's on the screen, but please read along with me as I read the passage that we're going to be kind of opening up and looking at and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to uh, bring, make real in our hearts. James writes in the first chapter, the second through the fourth and the twelfth verse, this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Lord, I'm asking you tonight for a spirit of revelation and understanding, that God, we might be called up into a clearer relationship with you, Jesus Christ, as Lord of our lives. Amen. I want to look at the key parts of this passage tonight, along with this verse, or these verses, I should say, along with especially Romans 5, 3 through 5, call us up into discipleship. They explain what discipleship entails. Not the all, not, the, not comprehensively, but in many regards, the center work of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is being addressed in James chapter 1, these first couple of verses. And you can go over and find a similar kind of emphasis from the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. They call us up into discipleship and they set out what discipleship produces in our lives. You see, discipleship is a choice. Say that with me. Discipleship is a choice. Jesus called the disciples, and what did they have to do? They had to follow. They had to leave nets. They had to leave tax stands. They had to leave what they knew to be their normal way of life, and they followed him. Discipleship is a choice. Believing in Christ and receiving mercy, in other words, coming into that place that we think of as being eternally saved, saved from the eternal judgment of God, receiving mercy, believing in Christ, does not make me a disciple. Well, I got a silent response. That's good. I was hoping it would. How does it work? What am I talking about? Through faith, God's grace works new life in us. His grace regenerates us. When we ask Jesus, when we turn our lives over to the Lord, when we ask him because we have come to be aware that we are apart from God, not that so much that we're in torment or that we may live eternally in torment, but rather we come to the realization that my life is a mess because I am apart from God. I am living my life in a fashion that is alienated from him. Now this, folks, is what goes into conversion. This is very different 
than just asking God to pray in a quick prayer and, oh, Lord, forgive me, because God wants our whole life. And he comes into our lives and he disrupts our lives and it's a good thing when he does because it brings us to the place of crying out to him for mercy, crying out to him for grace. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit ministers by grace something that literally creates and brings the new life of resurrected Christ, the nature of God called the seed of God's life, becomes planted down in the soil of our hearts. And we are born again. We are new creatures. Something new is now growing up in us. Something new is now speaking to us, drawing us, encouraging us, comforting us, strengthening us, giving us a different sense of perspective, a different sense of view of life. How many of you know from your own experience some of what I'm talking about? Well, good, then we're going to have a good response to our conversion prayer tonight. Because, see, this is what it means to come to faith in Christ. Something new begins to grow up in me. Something new begins to work in me. Something new begins to draw me to the living God. And this is what happens when grace enters our life. As pa Pastor Brett spoke about last Sunday, we were dead in our sins and he quickened us with new life through faith working by his grace. When we come to this place of regeneration, when we have this experience, this reality by faith, it isn't necessarily that we get goosebumps on the back of our neck, but there's something that oftentimes begins to be, that we're aware of is, you know, something's different. I'm seeing things different. I see this person different. I'm, I'm relating to my work differently because there is something of the newness of life beginning to bubble up in me. When we come into this newness of life, we now have the capacity to follow Jesus Christ, to become a disciple. But we have to choose to do that. We have to make the choice to do that. We've got to make the commitment to say, God, whatever else, let me follow you. Show me what it means to follow you, Jesus. Don't leave me behind, Lord Jesus. Let me follow you. When I was a new Christian, I was brought out, and I don't want to take a lot of time with this, but I was brought out of the, the turmoil, the ridiculousness, the foolishness, the emptiness, the vanity of what I was as a 19-year-old young man in college. And God laid hold of me and began to draw me to himself. And for, for, for the first years of my walk with him, I would literally walk the streets at night saying, Lord, if nothing, regardless of anything else, Lord, use me. Let me follow you. Now you say, well, you must have had that because you're in full-time ministry and have been for a million years. And I just want to come back and say, family, this is the normal Christian life. This is what it means to be a Christian this is what it is to be a disciple, and it's something we choose. Now, let me hasten to add, <clears throat> discipleship saves me. 
Following Christ in the experience and expression of his life begins to work the change, the transformation that brings about salvation, that only a radical inward change can produce. I'm not saying that if you're not practicing and walking as a disciple, you're going to hell or you're going to fall under eternal judgment. Please do not go away and report, well, Pastor Duke said there is a second needful experience for us to be saved, and that is we have to commit to being disciples. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that our understanding of salvation has to be accurate. And the understanding that we need to have of salvation is not some narrow notion that I'm not going to go be standing in, in judgment before God, and therefore I am saved. That's true. That's true. But that's not fundamentally what salvation is really about. Or that's not, I should say, a full understanding of what salvation is about. Let me read what I just said one more time. Discipleship saves me. Following Christ into the experience and expression of his life begins to work the change, the transformation that brings about salvation that only radical inward change can produce. For me to truly change, I've got to change from the inside out. I can't just do behavioral modification and be a better version of myself. We'd like to think, and that's what we're surrounded with. That's all this world knows. You got a problem? Change what you do. Change your spouse. Change your job. Change your car. Change your clothes. Change your whatever. Alter the outside, you'll be a different person. Not true. Real change begins at the core at the center, and that's what God's interested in. That's what, that's what Jesus died to obtain of you, the center of you and I. And he begins to do a radical work there. I don't accomplish this change by my good works. Again, don't say, well, Pastor Duke's saying we're supposed to do something that makes us different. We do not accomplish this change by our good works, but we do work. God motivates, he directs, he strengthens, but I do have to work. I choose to obey and I trust and I act on what I know to be right. We've got to work. Regarding salvation only in terms of escape from eternal judgment is a too narrow, misinformed understanding of what it is to be saved. If we're disciples, we're in the process of entering into our salvation. We, are the, we should be in the process of experiencing and relating to one another and encouraging one another in the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Because when you follow him, you are a learner from him. You are an imitator of him. You are a student of him. These are all the meanings of the word, Greek words used to, to describe discipleship. So this, this, is, this is what, you know, the new life we enter into when we believe, when we receive God's grace, ushers us into a new reality rooted in a new life which we learn to embrace, apply, and grow up into. And that brings us to James 1. Verses 2 through 4. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James is offering key insight into how we walk out disciples, the discipleship we've chosen. We're to regard trials as something to rejoice over. We're to count as a cause of joy, difficulties, challenges, serious obstacles, setbacks, disappointments, failures, hardships, threats, abuse, even being rejected or ridiculed for our faith in Christ. This is counterintuitive, is it not? Yet not to a disciple. Understand, discipleship is a commitment to change. When Peter and Andrew left their nets to follow Jesus, they may not have realized how much of a commitment they were making in that moment, but it was a commitment to change. Everything changed. When we commit to follow Jesus, we may stay in the same job. We'll certainly stay in the same marriage. We'll still have the same kids. Nothing of outwardly like that will change. But yet, we are posturing ourselves and positioning ourselves to say, Lord, bring me in to any and all change that you have for me to make. Let there be transformation. Understand. See, my life, well, let me just re reflect here for a moment. My life before Christ, this is B.C. Our lives before Christ, it, this may not apply to you, but it applies a lot to me. I understand and relate to all of life in terms of my understanding, my understanding, my wishes, my desires, my plans, my intentions. I have a clear set of values defined by and aimed at satisfying me. Can I please get the picture if you can? And just leave it up for a moment. I want the full impact of this image to burn into our souls. I have counted all joy... James says, to embrace and rejoice in these other hard, bad things that go against everything that relates to what I want, and yet I'm supposed to count this as joyful, exposes this point of view of our values and where our focus is in regard to Christ. We don't like anything associated with trials, tests. We have one aim, and that's to get out of them. I have one aim, and that's to get out of them. I'll, I'll speak for myself. Maybe as disciples, we are to have... See, see this thing, this, this meanness. Now, this, you can take it down just a sec, but this is how we all are before Christ. We are full of ourselves. Now, I come to know Jesus Christ, I believe in him, I receive his mercy, I'm regenerated into the newness of life. God begins to do a work in me, but you know what? Everything represented by Miss Piggy is still resident within me. The habits of looking at things in my terms, the habit and way of thinking of regarding everything in terms of how it affects me, all of these things are still me. 
Discipleship works to begin to deconstruct and transform that mentality, that heart, into one that is like Christ, who is absolutely the opposite of Miss Piggy. You with me? See, this is what we choose and ask God to strengthen us to bring about. As disciples, we are to have a deep underlying assurance that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. You see how this works? Rejoice, count it all joy when you come into diverse trials. Why? Because God is going to use everything to work out his good. As disciples, oh, Huh, that's bad news. Now, that doesn't mean we, 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 we did unplug from our emotions or we, have some, we become some kind of an automaton, some kind of a robotic response. That's, no, we are still going to be impacted humanly, and we should. But in that impact, something in the regenerated newness of our life begins to resonate. God's at work. God's at work. Lord, how, what? I don't know what to do, as it says in the Old Testament, but my eyes are upon you. God's at work. And so I can begin to give a glimmer of hope. I not only have a glimmer of hope, I can begin to give a glimmer of, Lord, in everything, I give you thanks. You are at work to do. The aim of discipleship is to break the rule of self. It's not the only aim. But the aim of discipleship, at least in its initial phases and then throughout a lifetime of being a disciple, is to break the rule of self. Our hearts are idol factories, Calvin said. And the hottest idol is ourselves. Moi. We look at life from a standpoint of self-interest. Our highest aim is for the well-being, comfort, and security of this God, small g. But in his love for us, God uses all that our lives consist of to help break us from bondage to ourselves and bring us into the conformity of Christ. For freedom, you have been set free. The greatest freedom any of us can know is the freedom from ourselves. The greatest freedom we can know is not to be in bondage to myself when it comes time to love my spouse when that's what's needed. To lay down my life for my neighbor when that's what's needed. To be free, to freely give myself to freely and generously extend myself and offer what I have, that is freedom. And in order to come into that freedom, something's got to be broken in who we are. In this, in his love for us, God uses all that our lives consist <clears throat> to help break us from the bondage to ourselves and bring us into conformity to Christ. I guess I said that. For this to work, we need our faith to be enlarged. We have, we, we have to move, now hear this, we have to move from God deliver me, 
get me out of this difficulty to the realization that there's a design from deliverance to design. From God, get me out of this, deliver me, and believe me, God does deliver, and there are some situations he has to deliver us from. I can testify of that. I died six times on the operating table. God delivered me. You with me? So, and I'm grateful for that. So there's places where we can look and need to have a miraculous work of God to bring deliverance, but I want to suggest that oftentimes, maybe most of the time, He's working a design. He's got you in that. He, somebody said it. He's, he's, he's fixed to fix to fix your fix. I mean, he's, he's got you right where he wants you in that situation. You may have put yourself in it. On the other hand, you may have been purely a, a bystander, a victim. That make any difference. God's design is to do something in us, and he wants us to see that. Discipleship is the practice of doing this that I'm describing over and over and over again, multiple times a day. I've been, I've been working on this. I was going, went out for a walk the other day. I was walking down. We have 45 mile an hour kind of a road in front of our house and and most of the time, you're walking down the road, and the people come and see you coming, and they get clear over in the other lane. Well, I was almost home, and I was walking down the road, and this red, big red pickup truck comes zipping by, and he was flying. He didn't move over a lick. I think there was another car coming, but normally they kind of slow down and, you know, make room. And then there was right behind him a car going just about as fast. And I had I'd stepped off the road slightly to let the pickup go by. I stepped back up on the edge of the road. I mean, this far up on the edge of the road and started to walk. This guy flies by and honks his horn at me. So, disciple Duke Bendix <laughs> stops right there and turns and just looks. I didn't give him any, you know. I just looked. Like, who do you think you are? And I had no sooner turned and looked... And the Holy Spirit said, who do you think you are? And I had just a momentary glimpse of what Jesus was talking about when he said, turn the other cheek. Now, does that mean that guy was right? No. You know, I got that. But what I'm just saying is, every little thing can be something God uses to show us where, what I've come to adopt in my own heart is, the high places of my heart where I've set up little bastions of my own idolatry, my own pleasure, my own satisfaction, my own security, and I bow at those things. And what I'm learning to do is saying, God, help me now. Help me to tear this down. And that's that's what James is talking about here. You know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know, James writes... No, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, he takes this as a given to the people he's writing to. You know the testing of your faith. I want to come back tonight and say, folks, we got to know that the testing of our faith is working something good for us. It's working something that we need to wholeheartedly look for, wholeheartedly embrace, and believe that there's something. Do we know 
James is setting out a different paradigm, a different frame of reference. Tests encounter, expose, and exercise our souls. They encounter us, like my driving little road experience. They provoke us. They pull us out of our comfort. Our wife doesn't live up to our expectations. Our kid does something dumb, whatever it is. And immediately we find ourselves in reaction mode because it's provoked something in us. It's prodded the self. It's goaded something in us. It exposes. And God says, that's great. It was there to be exposed. But not only does it expose that, It encounters us, it exposes it, and in the exposing, it takes the measure, the quality of our faith. In other words, there's a sense when we assess something, we assay it. It's like taking gold, you know, the fool's gold, real gold, and they assay it. They they have a way of assessing what what is the content of this nugget. How pure is this gold? What is, they prove it. And when we encounter difficulties, it has a proving quality, an assaying, assessing quality on our faith. And and that's where we get to say, Lord, you know, I didn't respond to that with a lot of faith. God, forgive me. Grow me in this. And then it exercises. As we press through, as we become stronger, our faith is broadened, deepened. In in, In endurance, our character is shaped. Under discipleship, excuse me, understand that discipleship is a commitment to change. I've said that. Discipleship changes us by changing how we view things. And James is teaching an important truth that points to a different way of valuing things. Trials build something. What they build is steadfastness. They build endurance. They build perseverance. The work, the work underway, the reformation of our souls is furthered by the process of standing, persevering, remaining steadfast in patient endurance. It does so because when we stand fast, now listen to this, the change occurs not just that we're belligerent and saying, well, I'm just going to be stubborn here. I'm supposed to be. After all, we're supposed to stand in, 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 in the middle of difficulties. No, 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 no. It builds our faith when we face those difficulties because we realize quickly, I can't stand. That's why we say things like, I can't stand this. <laughs> I can't stand. I can't be steadfast. So what do we do? We can either at that point bow down to the idol of ourself and react, be angry, run, resist, curse, whatever, shake, you know, or we can come back and say, God, I need your strength. I need grace. I need what only you can be for me in this. Use this. But we've got to see the moment for what it is. Now, sometimes the Bendix theory of learning is we're in it, we don't see the moment until we get through it. And then we see how poorly we responded. So we go back. In my case, I learned this with a certain person that I've known for a great number of years and have lived with. I went back. No names mentioned. Um, I would go back and say, honey, I realize I didn't respond to you right. Would you forgive me? And we'd have a similar situation. 
And being the whiz-bang I am, I'd go all the way through the situation and realize I didn't do that right. But after several times, I began to catch myself two-thirds of the way into what I was doing. And then I began catching myself a third of the way into what I Now, each time I did this, I still had to stop and say, honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have responded that way. But what, I, but what goes on in every one of these opportunities where we're facing something, where we're, being, where we're being encountered, where something is being exposed, it's an opportunity for our faith to be exercised. And it's exercised and built up and we learn steadfastness by coming back and saying, God, give me grace. Give me grace. We encountered our tests as something to rejoice in because our frame of reference toward things is, is being changed. When we are tested, we need to relate to them as an occasion for the grace of God to work in us. When we're in the middle of the test, we need to respond a certain way. I had a great image. I was, I was thinking, I don't, I don't know if Jared's still here or not, but I was going to, he's always using these football analogies, you know. Yeah, okay, good. Well, I, was, I hope he wasn't here to see this. Because this is not a personal football experience. It's actually from people I've known who played the game professionally. But a wide receiver, three things make him successful. First of all, he gets into the position on the field he's supposed to be in. We have to get positioned right when we're in the situation. Then, once he's in position... He gets prepared to receive what's coming his way. He isn't just standing out there, okay, throw me the ball. No, he's out there in a posture of receptivity with an expectation, with his eyes set where they need to be in order to receive what's coming his way. And then when he receives it, he holds it fast and moves forward with it. Position, reception, holding fast. This is what we do in the middle of every one of these, be the great or small, these difficulties, these trials, these tests that come our way. And when we do this, when we do these things that I'm talking about, James goes on to say, they make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 4 says that, this verse says that as we embrace testing and let it work endurance in us, something that wasn't whole becomes whole. Something that was incomplete gets completed. Now, now here, understand, see, we live in a context where we are, we are looking continually and expectantly for the miraculous, for the instantaneous, for the quick god just does it. And there isn't anything wrong with that because God is definitely a God who can just do it. But I hope we're beginning to understand and I hope your life experience teaches you that for every one time he works a miracle like he did in me five years ago, there's a lot of times when there's no miracle. It's just him and me and faith and me choosing to be a disciple. And walking it out. And learning by my mistakes. Coming back. And learning by my mistakes. And coming back. Letting myself be encountered. 
Letting myself be exposed, letting myself be exercised. And in the process, something is made whole. How does it work? I don't know. Well, in one sense, that's not true. I do know. What's happening, what becomes whole in us, is the nature of Christ begins to grow in us. We become conformed to the image of Jesus. Something begins to turn on the inside out and we become different people. God designed you in such a way that your greatest fulfillment, your greatest aim in life can only be found in the nature of Christ growing up and finding expression through you and your personality. He doesn't want everybody... Jesus as the man had a unique personality. Was he an introvert? Was he an extrovert? Was he a, did he make jokes? Did he, I, mean, I know he had a sense of humor. He put up with those guys for so long. He had to have at least a, some of a sense of humor. I love the story about, do we pay taxes? Well, and he explained it. And he said, now just go down, catch a fish. You'll find a gold coin in his mouth for your taxes and mine. Peter must have been talking to himself all the way down to the lake. And he knew he was going to catch a fish with a gold coin in his mouth. I mean, so, yeah, yes, Jesus had a sense of humor. But the point is, your personality is uniquely created by God as a unique expression and conduit of the nature of Christ. And as disciples, we're learning how to come into that. As disciples, we're committed to that process. We are perfected, we're made perfect. Now listen to this, we're perfected. Being made perfect doesn't refer to never making a mistake. But the inner soundness and quality of who we are as people is established. In Hebrew, the word perfect is related to the word shalom, the peace of God. The peace of God is just not an absence of conflict. It's the solidity, the right-fittedness, the wholeness, the establishment, the groundedness of being with and found in God. That's the peace of God. That's what it is to be perfect, and that's what's formed in us. It says that steadfastness produces this kind of perfection, this kind of perfect work. Uh, Someone said it this way, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, Quote, every grace present in Christ manifested in the believer and manifested naturally. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. He will receive the crown of life. Let me just say this. A crown is an emblem of rule. It's a symbol of authority. We hear this and we think, A crown of life is going to be some crown that we're going to get after we die. When we come and appear before Jesus, he's going to issue a crown to us. And I believe there's probably some truth to that. After all, the elders threw their crowns down before the Lord. So in all likelihood, we may be getting a number of things from Jesus when we see him face to face. But the point here is, I believe, is not a crown that we'll eventually receive. But he says, rather, to the man who remains, or woman who remains steadfast, who gets this down on their insides, who begins to be formed and exercised, who is a receiver 
in the sense that I've talked about. Something gets formed, they receive this emblem of rule, this symbol of authority called the crown of life. And I, wrote, and I, and I, and I, I thought it in, the, in these terms. We now address, because we have, if we're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, if steadfastness begins to form something in us, we now have the rule and the authority of life to bring into everything we step into. See, ours is not an authority primarily to command. I got it, bind, loose. I know that's in there. But what we have is an authority to come bearing with us the life of Christ and bringing his life into every situation. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. It's like the old Peanuts thing about Pigpen. You know, everywhere he went was a cloud around him. That really dates me. Anyway, <laughs> it was a cartoon years ago in the newspapers. Uh, but we're to go, not with a cloud around us, but with just the presence of the life of God. This is what we are to do. Ruling in life means bringing the kingdom of heaven into all that we do and touch. Righteousness, here, what's the kingdom of heaven? Romans 14, 17. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere we go, with our, in wearing, as it were, our crown of life, we're to bring righteousness, peace, and joy into our sour family situation at times, into that place where we work, into, our bad, into the, the bad attitude our neighbor may have. We are called to find out how to bring and how to, how to have the, 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 the cloud, if you will, of righteousness, peace, and joy be manifested everywhere we go. God's intent is that we live our lives now Live our lives now in the authority of life, addressing everything we touch with the life of heaven, bringing kingdom order and peace into everything for which we have jurisdiction and influence. The kingdom of heaven manifest in the earth through you and I. This is what Jesus was talking about. We're a city set on a hill. We're a lamp put on the lampstand. We think of that primarily as proclaiming the gospel. Folks, there is a gospel to be proclaimed through the saints emerging as righteous, the righteous disciples of Christ and wearing a crown of life that would, that would resonate and change in ways we don't have any comprehension of. But it starts with us seeing that we're disciples. Last thought. The evidence of our becoming perfect and complete is the increasing freedom we have to sacrifice ourselves to see life ministered to the world. You want to know if you're wearing the crown of life? You look at how you relate to the world around us and how free you are to lay your life down. Of course, that's measured, in, first of all, in how we do our marriages, our families, our work. This is where it starts. Discipleship is following Jesus, learning his way, being transformed to his nature, 
so that such life comes to be expressed through us in everything. Count it all joy. Amen? Okay, now here's what I want to do. I want us to just take a moment to kind of ponder this, and I've got three different prayer focuses. I'll try to figure out how to do this. First of all, I want to just say, and, and I'm going to read all three of these, because then I'm going to lead in prayer after we bow our heads. But the first one is, maybe you've never been born again with the new life and nature of Christ taking root in your heart. If so, if you realize, you know, that's something I've, I, I can't honestly say I've ever experienced or know that I know that has happened in my heart. Then, if that's the case, confess your sin of living your life for yourself and opposed to God. And ask him to forgive you and ask that Christ might come to dwell in your heart and that he would give you new life and open a relationship with God. If you've, if you've never experienced that, we're going to pray in a moment. I'm going to lead those of you who that may resonate with in prayer to that end in just a moment. The second group is this, though, that I want us to... And this is where I just want us to reflect on what I'm talking about tonight. Maybe you've never committed yourself to being a disciple, to follow Christ with your whole heart, but hearing what you've heard tonight makes you want to. Something got stirred. Something, wow. You know, it's, it's the nature of Christ in you being drawn, drawn up. The Spirit meets the Spirit, faith unto faith. Then we're going to pray to that end here in a moment too. And then the third group is this. Or maybe you did make such a commitment and shrank back. The God, small g, of self was simply too strong. If you ask for forgiveness and rededicate yourself to becoming a disciple day by day, God will meet you. He's never done with us. And he never throws us away. And he never says, well, forget that guy. Forget that girl. They're beyond it. If, that, if, the, if, the, if something resonates in your heart tonight, just bow your head now. Lord, if there's anyone here that has never truly and knows that they've, not, that, they, that they've never experienced the reality of being born again, of being born of heaven, of the spirit of, of Christ regenerating newness in them and them being, being now aware of having a true relationship with you, Lord God. Father, if there's anyone here, if you're here with every, all the, everybody bowed down, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I just want you to raise your hand and, and respond. Okay, let's look. If, now this, this second group, maybe this is a new word for you. Maybe you've really never heard a call to be a disciple in the way that we're talking about this evening, of making, of leaving all and following Jesus with your whole life. If that's you, I just want you to say, Lord, would you draw me into this now? Would you show me how to walk in James 1, 2 through 4? Would you show me, Lord God, how to take full advantage of the, of the sacrifice you've made for me, of the justification, the assurance I have, of your acceptance of me, the assurance I have of your mercy for my wrongdoing and my mistakes and my shortcomings, 
But Lord, now I want to follow you into something more. I want to follow you into what you have, you would have me to be. And for those of you that may be convicted in that third group, you may have made that kind of commitment. And you remember, and you remember too that there was a season of time following that commitment where you were freshly on fire, where there was something desirous in you of more of Jesus. And then, you may not even know why or how, it just dissolved. If that's where you are and you have a heart to come back and just recenter yourself in this way, then Lord, would you give that person grace? Would you meet them? And would you draw them into all that you have for them? Now, Lord God, would you seal this again? Spirit of Holy Spirit, bring us revelation, give us understanding, and help us to meet, to be, and belong more. To Jesus our Lord. Amen.